always drove horses on the road. But I couldn't drive horses anymore. You'll be driving there on a horse today and a car come on doing 100 miles an hour. But that's the way it goes today, like. And I think you raise a very good question about the culture changing, but I think that's inevitable given uh, the technological age. The art of conversation in some ways is in uh, decline. I mean, we have moved from sitting around the fire and having conversations and storytelling to texting and uh, mobile phones and uh, emails. So I think uh, the way we communicate has changed tremendously in the last 50 years for sure since the time when I left Ireland in the 60s. So I think the younger generation, certainly they communicate, but it's a whole different way. I think we have lost something in terms of uh, uh, coming together in the public houses, which is really what the pub is, where the public would gather and uh, share stories and uh, support each other and, you know, whether it's talking about the weather or the turf or whatever. But uh, there was a great community feeling. Uh, now it's be, it's more one-to-one or it's more uh, instant. It's like anything else. It's like the microwave versus the open fire. But um, there was a very uh, well-known... Um, when was the last time you told the story? Bandsman here in Lissol one time, a fella called Bunny Dalton. When was the last time you heard a story? And Bunny was a great storyteller, an exceptional storyteller. And... Uh, he actually told me a story one time about himself. When was the last time you were in a story? It's a great uh, thing about a person to be able to tell a story or tell a joke about themselves. It's a great trait of a person. But Bunny anyway told me the story about... Uh, he was... Um, over the years he has played a series of dances in a place called Karakere. It's out in, in, in West Limerick. And um, at the... Uh, at the time, the number of dancers he had attended out there playing, uh, he, there was trouble at the dancers. But this particular year, there had been no trouble. And he was delighted. He was playing the last few bars of a waltz around half past one at night. It had started snowing outside, and some fella came in with a big snowball and threw the snowball up and hit Bunny in the face. And Bunny said to me, Vincent, I, I took off the accordion, I put it down the ground, and I turned around to my son Tommy and I said, did you see who threw the snowball? And Tommy said, no. So Bunny faced the crowd, the big crowd, and he said, uh, would the man that threw the snowball stand up in the middle of the floor? And he, he said to me, you know, he said there was a big crowd there, and the crowd parted like the Red Sea. And he said, this fella started walking up the floor. And I knew I was in trouble, he said. And I looked down and I had one chance. And he said, did you throw that snowball? And your man, he was about six foot two and about 16 stone. He said, I did. And Bonin looked, cut the losses and he said, you have a great shot. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. I didn't see the, I didn't see that one coming. <laughs> <laughs> but he didn't either. <laughs> Down in North Kerry, stories still matter. And how you tell them still matters. 
tried there were 74 pubs and that was in 1955 i don't know how everybody existed or fed their families but we had listoral races we had three days of listoral races we had the horse fairs and the cattle fairs and that brought business to everybody and uh, john b and myself had a bar and a grocery and the little grocery was lovely and it brought in lovely people since Mary and John B. Keane opened their public house in 1955, the number of pubs in Listowel has reduced from 74 to just 22. That's the loss of 52 pubs, the loss of 52 places where stories were housed. People got old and they didn't continue. A licence was only about 40 euros, 40 pounds, I'd say, at that time. And I think at the moment it is 100 and maybe 20 or 30 or 40,000 euros, which is a fine pile of money. And for elderly people now that wouldn't have any pension or anything, and it would be just great if they want to if they want to retire from the pub trade and they can sell their licence and live in the house then happily and with, with, the, with all that hundred and something thousand it is a, it is a lovely little nest egg so uh, a lot of them are selling like that I think and about the smoking ban I love it, I love the smoking ban all the fumes are gone out of the bar and it, our bar looks twice the size because when you come in the door, everything is clear and it is lovely and there's no ashtrays on the tables. And, but of course, it took from the storytelling that you spoke about uh, a good bit. But still in all, you see, it is the elderly people that tell the stories and they are gone. They can come. Now, they would only drink maybe one or two drinks and drive home and they kill nobody and they do no harm to anyone. But they just drive slowly and go home, but they can't do it anymore because they'll be cut and they'll be brutalised and then they're isolated when they can't drive their cars. So these, these young fellas that do all the damage are gone. I see them driving. In a shot, they're gone. I don't think anyone could catch them. I often look to say, I catch their number now and I report them. Not at all. They're gone. You can't. You couldn't see their number. You couldn't read it. In no, this is the source that I'm going to need a load of help now. But anyway, in the year of our Lord, 1934. No, no, it was a fair year for primroses. It was a better year for hay. But do not like this year. No, it was a woeful year for funerals. My grandfather, Murashin Connor, didn't he tackle up the pony and trap and? Picked up his old friend Teddy Dowd in Lacca and off they went to Ballybunnan for the 15th of August. So that was their lifelong pattern on Pattern Day. Stories are how we communicate with each other. It's not just about information. We challenge, entertain, play, try to make people laugh, anything to get their attention. No, that was fine, all was well. They were coming out it's hard to define, to pin down, to protect. They could hear an odd, an odd dog barking in the distance. <laughs> in the United Nations, those in charge of protecting culture have come up with a name, immaterial patrimony. But our particular form of story may be too intangible to fit into their definition, which includes protecting traditions, knowledge, languages, 
and artistic expressions. The French, for example, protect the traditional bread-making skills and you can apply for state protection if you practice a traditional craft. But who's protecting our stories? Next thing, Dowd felt the liquid flowing down along his leg. Oh, his first thought was for the noggin. He puts down his hand. Oh, tis all right, lads, to say, tis only blood. <laughs> At that, anyway, he squared up for the free. He lifted the slither with his command and he lashed at it, and the bar went away off to the right. Didn't it fly through the eye of a Celtic cross? From there, struck the pole of a plaster angel was redirected onto the outstretched arm of a figure of Michael the Archangel, and from there, it skeeved its way inside the left upright into the back of the neck! What if we lost a story like that? What if we lost all our stories? Full-time uh, mendicant uh, professor of poetry, stories, songs and nonsense. Yeah. <laughs> it's a good life. Um, you know, storytelling has declined. Um, in the old days, storytelling used to be the Shanaki Oscailge. And then from the early 20th century on, maybe the middle 19th century on, the stories became stories in English. And uh, there's many kinds of stories you'll get. You'll get the authentic storyteller who has a story to tell about the locality and probably local fairs or nowadays maybe even local people, new people coming to the community. Then you'll get the professional storyteller who uh, is usually a clone of Eamon Kelly. Uh, there are other storytellers now that, that tell other stories and tell their own stories. Like Sometimes stories tend to be just linked anecdotes or, or, or linked jokes and that, that really is, is not going anywhere but story should be a narrative that, that has a beginning, middle and end and, um... Speed, speed, speed and when I was young we thought there was nothing as fast as a good pony on the road but Jesus my dad used to say like that fella has a great pony up there my God isn't he well able to go like and you see all that thing is gone now. It is all cars now and fast motor cars. The story should be a narrative that, that has a beginning, middle and end and um, in a sense tells the story of a community or a story of a person's life or the story of a person's perceptions. It just goes to show that stories don't have to be just coy little um, anecdotes that tend to be risque and maybe stage Irish at times. But um, I'm glad to say that in, in, even given the decline of storytelling and singing and dancing and music in pubs, that you will still find pockets of it in certain places. Now, the place we're in tonight is, is my van. It's Maureen Carney's bar. Now, Maureen Carney is, of course, Mrs Maureen Welsh, but she is such a powerful woman from her youth that nobody would dare call her Mrs Maureen Welsh. She, she retains her maiden name, Maureen Carney. And uh, you find, like, that people come in here, first story, you notice we're all of the older generation. Like, I would be probably the youngest person in the bar at uh, 55 years of age. And uh, storytellers come in, musicians come in. Once upon a time when we were younger and madder and played for free beer, we come in three nights a week. Nowadays we come when we feel like it. And uh, that's, that's regularly. But... Uh, I mean, Paddy Fitz, the, the great accordion player, is, is in his 80s now. Richard Casey comes from Causeway from here, which is a good lick. It's a half an hour's journey, but he comes here because he likes to play here. 
Irene Manhart again she's Mrs Irene Cronin but she's such a powerful woman she's retained her maiden name she comes in um, Mary Thompson comes in Sean Foley comes in it's, it's a place you see a pub like this is really a community centre and um, it's where people recreate themselves now I like to use the word recreation because you can put a hyphen between the, uh, the re and the creation in other words you remake yourself and if you're living alone three miles from the village and you have nothing but the dog for company and maybe the television maybe you don't turn on the television maybe you couldn't care less the only place you can come for a fag let's, let's be honest for a fag and, and a story and a drink is to the pub um, the Southern Health Board were on, tele- were on the television the other night on the news saying that uh, one of the dangers for society nowadays is people drinking at home but do they have to because they won't let us drink in the pubs anymore so uh, there's a sea change in society and what implications that has for the storytelling and the music I don't know like in a small village any small village, rural village you find you've got a church, a school and a pub the old bulwarks of Irish traditional society are going and we're in a period of transition John B. Keane wrote famously about the period of transition in the 1950s in plays like Sive we're in another period of transition now. In some of the pubs here, you will find Brazilians drinking. Which they're very welcome. You'll find Poles drinking, people that are working here. And they will integrate themselves in to our society. Give them a few years and they will. And they will have stories too. At least I hope they will. Their own stories. So maybe we're looking at a new story of Ireland and a new story of rural Ireland. When we integrate their stories with our stories. And uh, that's a cultural richness, I think, that can be explored. Now, one of the things you'll notice is that I grew up in a small shop opposite the creamery, a grocery shop. The farmers would come into the shop and they'd talk. They had time to talk. Uh, they'd tell their stories. They'd buy their loaf of bread and their packet of fags and whatever, grain of tea. And uh, then maybe some of them would go to the pub and just half pints they drank. They didn't always drink pints. Maybe a half pint of Guinness and a whiskey would be their drink and they'd go home. But nowadays there's such a rush. Like With all the machinery we have, and with all the modern technology, we're rushing more. We have less time. I mean, if you want to call into somebody's house nowadays, you have to make an appointment. You have to phone. Whereas in the old days, you could just drop in. So uh, the pace of life is quickening as well. And there is less time for stories. So I would, say, I would contend, like, and I would make a plea to leave the pubs alone. Because, I mean, the facts are, isn't there a pub closing every day in Ireland somewhere? And um, these people need a life. I mean... Otherwise, you're looking at depression, you're looking at suicide. Unfortunately, it's an awful fact to say, I don't like saying it, but that's what you are looking at. There are a thousand places like my van around Ireland, in every county, at the edge of every city. Storytelling, formal or informal, is the heartbeat of every community. With the emptying pubs comes the end of the pub, and with the end of the pub comes the end of the story. Brenda Tobin. And when she is revved up, she'll talk to you as well. But not, not that she's revved up. Long ago, it was a meeting place as well, because um, people went nowhere. You know, they were on foot, and they came to the local pub for entertainment and even 
to know who was dead or alive, you know, all the news. Yeah. I suppose really the, the drink driving really did affect the bars because, I mean, everyone is working. They need their licence. It's the inconvenience of being off the road, you know. So I suppose you have taxis in the city. You wouldn't have a whole lot of taxis on here now. And I don't think the country people would believe in paying, you know. It isn't that they wouldn't want to pay, but they, they wouldn't feel... Like, I'd often drive my customers home now if, say, they had a few drinks and the guards were around. I would drive them home, you know. I would, uh, like, if they got stuck, you know. They kind of... But, um, um, like, it, it's, I don't think you'll train country people to get a taxi. Do you know? It's, it's, I, I suppose in the city you grow up with it, whereas in the country... Um, they don't understand. They don't seem to understand that you can get a taxi. Like they'd prefer if I drove them home. <laughs> They're nice clientele of people. Then you know, and they like to have the chat you know? <laughs> and the banter. I suppose they like you to be here from as well. You know, not to have different staff coming and going. So, but um, it's nice because, as you say, it's a way of life. And stories are a way of life. Our way of life. People can drink, they can't come. They don't, they're not interested, you know, when they can't have a few drinks because I suppose the drink relaxes people, you know. But uh, then it, they won't start talking until they've had a few. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> so it really has affected across the board, you know, which is a pity, really, because Ireland has such a good name uh, for the, the, the atmosphere and the pubs and the good traditional nights, you know. And it takes, it takes practice to get those skills, you know. Oh, it does, I suppose, it does, yeah, after years. You, you need to spend years in the pub before you can get those. <laughs> exactly, yeah. yeah. You know, it's a pity in one way because I suppose with all the young drivers being killed, they had to do something. It's frightening, the roads are frightening. So, yeah. Because I suppose before people would have four or five pints and drive away home and they were okay, you know, but... I suppose we have to change with the times. <laughs> Six or eight years ago, tourism replaced agriculture as our our primary industry. And the thing is that in any survey that was ever done, the big draw was the Irish hospitality. But that is the actual ability to just converse, make small talk and make everyone feel part of the house and feel welcome and all that. And if we start losing that skill, all of a sudden the that the fault, that kind of disappears. And if it disappears again, scenery is nice and all that. They, they won't come just for the scenery. There's lots of places with nice scenery or stuff that's different to, to see. You need the extra. And again, I think it's another aspect of it we might yeah. be losing. Like I think of characters like there's one in my home place and I remember and when the stories, when they start going well now, don't know, when they'd be, they'd be flowing well and we say, oh, good, good man yourself, Mick, they're, they're flying now, don't know. And <laughs> They're flowing out of me now, he says, and it's just throwing. And he'd believe it, like he'd throw. He's getting carried away with the whole sense of himself, anyway. I don't know, but it's, yeah, there's, there's a warmth in it, don't know. Just the stories, and it was so relaxing to listen to the stories. And when the pub was kind of half quietish, to have a few old stories going on and things was great. But the stories are dying out. Stories are about connections, connections with our past, connections with our future, where we came from and where we're going to. 
there is one man, he's 90, he comes in and we talk about the olden times and we always finish up saying, for God's sake, should the youth wouldn't believe us at all if they had us talking like this. The things we were talking about that really happened and all, they wouldn't listen to us, they wouldn't believe us. Like, take the dances. When I was young, you dressed up, you dressed up, I went to the dance and your partner and yourself dance to a beautiful orchestra like Mick de la Hunte. All these beautiful orchestras there up in, uh, on the bandstand for our benefit. And we got, we got it all for about five bob. And we dance until maybe three o'clock. We never, we never heard of vodka or gin or anything. And we might, when we'd come home, we, had, we, would, we would maybe, there was no minerals in our house. When we came home, there was just pure spring water and uh, milk. And, uh, and you wouldn't dream of making tea in case you woke up the whole house with the kettle, boiling the kettle. And, and that's the way it was. Listening to Mary Keane is like looking through a window at the past. The past comes to life through her stories. And stories are how we remember. Stories are how we remember places events, people. Stories are how we connect the living with the dead. Other men as well and boys. Next thing you were friends and pals. Then if you wouldn't look out for a man, of course, there was a great way altogether of getting a fella. He'd say, where's your coat? You knew then. Uh, but John B. wrote a bit uh, one time, he, if, he used to say himself, if the lady gave you the purse to mind, if you were right. I gave him my purse to mind, but, and, but he got many a purse, I'd say. But I met him, um, I, I met him um, in, during the stall races, and I didn't know who he was. And, when, uh, and he said, you'll have to come up now to see these beautiful lights. They had lights it was unique, you know, at least all. They had in the shape of a horseshoe, and the horseshoe was a huge, big horseshoe up in the poles, and all they were all lighted in all different blues and greens and pinks and everything. They were beautiful, and they'd they'd, they'd leave man all night long. Said so you'll have to come up here now to the to the top here of the road, and you'll see the lights then down along the street. And then we walked down to the car, and um, my people said, John, don't write about her now. He said. So I said, gosh, this fellow writer, that's how I met him. And we, we went, went on for ages and ages. Then, you see, there was no jobs. And to get a house, like, was an impossibility. And, and we were waiting. So we, we bought this place then and, and um, set it up. And it was a job and a house and it was everything. We still have it. We're still here. I said to him, for God's sake, we'll get out of here. We're here too long, we'll go someplace else. And we wouldn't have time. Tomorrow morning there was always something else to do and say. And, and he, he he always had something on the pipeline. So we all miss him. There's, there's two sides to it. Let's talk about the pub first of all. Yeah. And uh, there's the great social side to it, but also there's a dark side to it, and everything has the yin and the yang. And there's no, yes. there's, I've no problem talking about the dark side of it. I'm not being judgmental, but yes. it's just where a lot of all negativity and a lot of all, um, like people wasted a lot of time in there, you know, before when they had nothing better to do. So 
like people wouldn't have had great memories of pubs. People with alcoholic members of their families wouldn't. So there's a lot of people that would be saying, "To hell with it!" Like they made they made hay while the sun shined. But uh, that'd be that side of it too, you know. That that'd be a, that'd be a lot. Of, and they didn't do anything creative with people while they had them in there. That's that's the first thing. The second thing is that uh, there are these draconian legislation about people like there are uh, the man that went to the pub and uh, took his few drinks and drove home again is not the cause of a number of serious accidents in rural Ireland you know there are other things like there's nobody testing people for drugs so the uh, the rural it's going they're going to be have to be preserved as an institution because they do document a certain um, period in our history that, that, that needs to be valued and needs to be uh, like it was how people entertained themselves. But um, the only pubs that seem to be surviving now are in urban settings where they're next to a betting shop or else that they have food, you know, and food is the primary uh, function of a pub and second day is the, is the drink and people are drinking at home and off licences and everything so it's a completely different change, pay, playing pitch. So there's no social dimension very often to people drinking and um, people are getting drunk before they go out so that they can get totally slashed when they get out. But that's, that's the way things are like, you know, so just um, um, there are suggestions that in rural places that people are dying of isolation but rural Ireland is more resilient than that. Like it has, it has managed to absorb uh, so many different colonisations, and uh, we've had 800 years of uh, British supremacy, and we seem to be throwing everything away in 80 years that we managed to hold on to for 800 years. And uh, but there's another side to that too. Like I know in my rural parish that there's uh, neighbours living about two kilometres apart and every morning house A gets up and they see is smoke rising from the chimney in house B and uh, if it is they say it's okay she's up you know and things are all right so th there are invisible means of support uh, there's invisible acts of kindness taking place in rural settings like people are better networked than they're giving credit for you know, like people that, uh, I think of Jimmy Roach up in Lyra Campan that runs the four elements. Like Jimmy Roach is providing a service. Jimmy Roach isn't in it to make money, but he's a social man and he values and appreciates and makes everyone feel special that comes in. And he doesn't, like he'd have a conscience about him and he wouldn't, um, he wouldn't, anyone that had had enough drink, he said, you have enough drink now, we'll look at somebody to drive you home. And there's, there's a lovely kind of a, um, a dimension to these people's lives, and uh, um, and it's not been it's not been trumpeted any place. Now, the rural island of um, storytelling and everything like that, uh, a lot of it took place in pubs, and of course the story was greatly added to when somebody had a few drinks in them, and um, like the stories that were told at closing time and the stories that would be told the following morning around the breakfast table were very, very different. Brendan Kennelly has written a poem called The Story. The Story. And uh, if we're not housed within a story, where are we? And I believe that the economic story has taken over in this country and now people are finding that that's a leaky boat. And... Uh, 
Uh, I would feel that living in rural Ireland, as I have for the last 25 years, that uh, the story that I live out of, would I wouldn't feel it reflected anyway in the national understanding of the national uh, pa media papers or and I'm not offering this as a critique of blaming the media for everything you know I just don't feel that the lived experience of my life is not reflected in uh, the caricature that's often presented but I just see that there's wonderful imagination and humour and life in rural Ireland that that never gets expressed or that never gets mapped onto the national national identity. I wanted to make this documentary to find out about stories and what they mean to us in our society. After a couple of days in North Kerry, I began to realise that there was something much deeper going on. If we lose our stories, we lose our connections. And if we lose our connections, we begin to lose our identity. The, the older people that tell the stories, I suppose, don't go out because they, they, don't, they, can't, they, don't, they can't drive to the pub and have four or five pints and drive home, so maybe they don't go out. And then another thing, I think, is because everybody has a car now, there isn't that many people with stories to tell because they don't... Like, we all, we're all going from A to B every day now and, and we hardly meet anyone because we're all too busy flying around and there's no stories like there used to be long ago, I think, anyway. When I was younger, I remember my father used to go to the neighbouring houses and they'd be, he'd come back with stories or whatever... Or, there'd be storytelling going on in the houses he visited, but now there's no such thing because we hardly know who we live beside these days, even in the rural areas. Long ago, I suppose, the old people, the, a tiny little simple thing was a huge thing in a community, whereas now you'd, have, you'd nearly have to be a murder, a murder in, the, in the area before it would cause gossip. Yeah, it's just the society we live in. It's just not... I think we're all too self-absorbed to, to, to want to... To want to even care about what the neighbour next door is doing, to be honest. I hardly see my next door neighbours, whereas my, my parents' age, they, they knew everything that happened in the next door and ten houses down the road, and mind the next door house, whereas now you don't even know your neighbours anymore because, and like, where are the stories then? No, you want it? Now in the month of September. 1945. Don't miss now. Two ladies from Newtown, they went out for the ride. Don't oh, miss. Oh, they mounted their Oh, they did for my soul. And they hit for the plaza in the town of Listall. The craft of formal storytelling, the repetition, the detail, the insight, the rhythm, all leave a residue in every story we tell. You see, the meat pies, traditional feast here in Listall for the week of the races, and it is unique. We are all storytellers. One or two places in Kerry. And part of the story, to, you make a meat because pie. that's how we remember. Well, I often made 10, 60 of them, and they're hard work, hard going. But when my visor come back, for the races and come home, I'd say, would you, would you like a meat pie? Would I like two meat pies? So it's, uh, 
our great great grandfathers ate it and it kept the bones going and and they would eat it before or after drink and it spared the woman of the house from cooking vegetables and potatoes and meat and everything the meat pie covered everything and i made mine yesterday I, I I devoted my whole day to them and I had the door locked and no one came in to distract me and I made thirty. And they're very handy because if you have a visitor, which you would ha- often have a visitor, and they'd be hungry, give them a meat pie and they're fed for, for a day and a night. A story is like a pint. We give it. We receive it. We consume it. We nurture it. There was a great port from the Dale Road called Barry. It speaks for itself. And he was going in the bus one day to Tralee. And he said, I met it. It was the time that the nylon stockings came in first in the ladies. Before that, you wouldn't see through their legs at all. He said, I met a girl on the bus while travelling to Tralee. She pulled out a fag and to her leg across her knee. The smoke and clouds came down her nose. Her modesty was gone. I had to pinch her leg to know if she had stockings on. Hi there. Hiya. Hi, Jimmy. How are you? Hiya, Joan. How are you? Thank you very much. On a Saturday night up at Jimmy Roach's bar at the crossroads in Lyra Compon, everything becomes clear. This is where the real story is. From here you can see the beginning, middle and the end. Very tough. Very tough. For instance, we don't open here during the day now at all. We open in the evening, maybe seven or half seven. But um, because nobody, nobody can come here to the pub, and, and, and we're too far away. Like they have to be able to drive, and what happens now? They're dropped off maybe by their wives or their girlfriends or something like that. And you know, to, the pub in, in, in rural pubs, I think anywhere more a social centre. And even even in town, there's you know there's there's nowhere else to go around here. For instance, my my oldest customer now is he's ninety three years. He comes nearly every night. Uh, well, he's dropped off by some of, one of his family, and they they leave him for a couple of hours. But the first thing he he says when he comes into the bar, to either myself or to anybody inside, any news after the day, you know. We have no taxis around this area as such, so you have to ring a taxi from the nearest town, Lestor or Castle Island, and they drop you, but you still have to get back home afterwards again. That's why a lot of fellas on their own, you know, they wouldn't be married or anything, they'd just come up for their one or two pints and they can't even do that now anymore. Yeah. Or else they come early and go home early, they wouldn't be out late. So then... Yeah, that's yeah. that's the man who's really hit. Mm-hmm. If you like, the postman, the postman and the pub are his, his lifeline, mm-hmm. you know his connection with the outside world. You know, people who live in... in, in they're living far, very far enough the main road or something like that. They're living in a backward area. Um, like to come to the pub for 
just to meet people and have a chat or a talk and have a drink with us. Yeah. Last word, Jim? I think, I think we've had it. Have <laughs> It's it's a catch-22 situation. The, the authorities have to try to, to make laws, but it is very hard to make laws to suit everybody, I suppose, you know. Very hard to make a, a, a rule for, for Dublin and compare it with Larry Trumpan. You know, as Jackie Healy said uh, some some years ago when, when this rule came in first, they had, what's that, they had the slogan on jump on the dart to use the, use the, the, the bus. Why are you going to get a dart or, or a bus and let it jump on at 12 o'clock at night? <laughs> that's, that's it, you know. There's no simple reason why we're nearing the end of the story. But at crossroads throughout the country, there's an awareness that we need to pause and stop and listen. When I think of John B. Heen, John B. had a wonderful gift of English, and he, he just had, and there's lovely stories told about him and the little one-liners he used, and they're, they're very good, they're brilliant, a lot of them. But the thing is that uh, for, for to have the story, to actually build his language around, and not a lot of the stories that he got were from the people who walked in the door there, they sat down with their pint, and it could be all kinds of ramesh or rubbish, but it's just that there was possibilities for all of it. And Billy often tells the story how, about the fella at the front door saying how his father was one of the smartest men that ever lived here. He got us to tell him stories and then he wrote them down and charged us for reading them. And, but the whole thing there is that uh, I think there's less possibility of us seeing a John B type character into the future because fact is he wanted access to the stories that we always had because definitely when I was younger I went to the local pub and it wasn't for drink it it was to meet up and the stories of the day or what have you and again it was a farming background but it was the stories of what was going on in in everyone's yard and again the way fellas were cut out or the way someone else pulled wool over their eyes and just it was all I suppose you could say honest roguery that type of thing you know but uh the possibilities of those stories being told to each other they're lessened and lessened like there's even a therapy in it when you are meeting others and sharing your bits of problems and god knows in farming it was how we trained each other even you know it was a case of you had a problem with whatever it was and oh god that happened to me a number of years ago and i did this this and or i went to wherever you know and that's this is how you actually learned an awful lot of it you learn so much from books but you learn a damn sight more from others that have been there you know and uh, I, I don't know I actually I can see a lot of stuff being lost and well computers and television I can't see how they're going to replace that I'm I'm afraid that even the younger ones even our own kids and that their social skills I'd worry about to an extent even because uh, they're not going to get to develop they won't know how to say things and the bit of a laugh to go with it, that while they're pulling someone's leg, they can do it in a certain way that they know they'll get away with it. You know, I'm afraid that the, if they don't know exactly how far to go and how to deliver it, ah, good, ah, I saw you with the last, ah, you know, and it's, all, it's only rubbish, but it is a skill. If they don't learn it that way, and if they meet the wrong one, they'll get into all kinds of bother. And, you know, it, I don't know, it's, there's stuff being lost there, and I just, I'd love to know how it'll be replaced. I don't see it coming. And uh, this lad, he was um, uh, 
he he was Miss uh, Muldoon because uh, he went to the priest went to confession, and uh, he said to the priest, he said, uh, Father, he says, look, he said, you might be able to help me. So the priest says, of course, Muldoon, and he said, uh, you know, he said, um, my. Um, uh, Oh yeah, could you, my best friend has died, he said. Could you um, could you say mass for my best friend? So the Muldoon or the priest said to him, uh, of course Muldoon, he says, uh, of course I can uh, say mass. Uh, what's his name? Oh he said uh, it was my dog, my best friend. Oh Muldoon, he said, I'm disgusted, he said. We don't say mass for animals, he said. Uh, so can you do anything, said Muldoon. So the priest was thinking, he said, no, he said, Muldoon, he said, go down the road, they're Baptist down the road, he says, and they say prayers for everything. He said, they'll say a service for you. So Muldoon was just going out to the door and he says, Father, he said, uh, do you think, he says, uh, 15,000 would be enough as an offering? So the priest turned around, he said, Muldoon, he said, why didn't you tell me he was a Catholic? Ah, that's great, that's great, that's great, that's great. That's brilliant. Okay, we finish on that okay, one. That's yeah. a great, great yeah. Thanks very much. You're welcome.